few weeks, our volunteers, our staff, all the wonderful people, even in this community that just kind of started showing up to help out and contribute. Uh, Frankly, I was in awe of just how hard people worked and just poured themselves out is what I thought about. Like Paul said, he poured himself out like a drink offering unto the Lord. Uh, And people were just poured out over these last few weeks, but blessed at the same time. And just for us to be able to be in here today on Easter Sunday and be able to look forward to this new season that God has has led us into. And we're just excited about everything that is going forward from here and glad that all of you are here to be able to be a part of that with us today. You know, as we are getting ready for Easter, first Sunday in the new building, in the new facility, uh, one of the things that we actually just kind of forgot about, or at least I did, that just came back to my uh, remembrance this week was that this month we're actually celebrating six years since we planted the church. So a lot going on at one time. But I wanted to take just a moment and share with everybody, because I know we have a lot of new folks and we've had lots of questions from the community. You know, what's the building going to look like? What's it going to be? What's happening? Just going to take a few minutes and share a little bit with you about that, because here, where we are right now, is what we're calling our temporary sanctuary. But this entire space up here is what will eventually be our fully, when it's completed, our youth center. So this will actually be like... Yeah, This will actually be like a gymnasium in here, but our youth and next gen will still be able to utilize it for conferences and youth services and all that. In fact, they're going to be using it through the week for their youth services as well. You can see here, this is a picture of what the gymnasium area is going to look like. Over off to the side, we're going to have a full gaming center for the youth. Uh, We're actually partnering with the YMCA right now, working on a bunch of different programs for younger generation, students, after school programs, a lot of exciting things that will start rolling out as the year progresses. Uh, And then very soon, when we work through some things uh, with the city and get ready, we're going to start an addition on the back of this building that will actually be our new sanctuary. You can see that there. And so you'll have a little bit more room to spread out whenever we do that. Uh, But then we will move into a two to three year phase renovation and expansion effort where we'll fully renovate the entire building. Um, We've been, I think our team's done a great job being good stewards. We've repurposed a lot of the space as it currently sits. You know, it was a medical center, uh, and so it's configured a little differently than you would configure a church, <laughs> if you can believe that. And, uh, but we're making great use of it in our offices, our administrative spaces, our kids' areas. But eventually, over the next two to three years, we're going to fully renovate all of our kids' rooms, all of our administrative offices. And one of the exciting things that we're really, really pumped up about is uh, utilizing this for community partner spaces as well. We have tenant space. It's actually going to be leased out and then other community partners, maybe even some shared space arrangements. Here's what we want. We want a heavy focus on the younger generation, on community partnerships, but we want to see people raised up strong in the house of the Lord, where they can really grow in their faith, in the power and presence of God, but ultimately that 
there's a lot of activity happening here that's flowing out into the community, like that river of living water, right? In the vision of Ezekiel, the river comes out from under the threshold of the temple. But as it goes into the land, it gets wider and deeper, and everything it touches begins to live. We want to see life and health and vibrancy and activity happening here and then flowing out into all aspects of our community. And we're really excited because part of the two, three-year renovation and expansion effort includes not only this campus, but our second campus, which is up in Jerseyville, Illinois, right above Alton. We just launched that location two years ago, and, uh, and it's going incredibly well also. So today is actually the first Easter Sunday service that we're having in our Jerseyville campus right now. And I know a lot of folks up there are very excited. And so we're, we're continuing to move more towards this campus model. So the Jerseyville location will also have fully renovated youth centers, fully renovated community partner spaces. And we have a heavy emphasis on prayer. So we've got prayer rooms in both of our campuses that are open anytime the building is open. We want to invite anyone and everyone come, spend time in the presence of God, worshiping, prayer, praising uh, at any point in time. And it's just going to be a great place that we'll say the house of the Lord is a house of prayer. Amen? Amen. And then the last thing I would say is if you wanted to learn more information about the two to three year expansion, the vision campaign, everything that's going on, we've got these uh, pamphlets that you can find out on those tables over here in the side area, down in the lobby. They're kind of spread out all throughout the building, give you a lot more details, a lot more information about what, what's happening, how you might be able to partner with us if you feel the Lord's leading you to into really supporting that work, the work that we feel the Lord is doing through here. And if you have any questions about it, you can always reach out to us and we'd be happy to chat with you, sit down with you, whatever. On that note, how many people are ready for the word today? We've been in a series for the last three weeks. We're concluding that today here on Easter called The Final Week. And uh, we've been taking some extended time to really go through that last week of Jesus' earthly life and his ministry here and all of the major moments and events that went on in that. Have you, if you've been with us for the three weeks, have you enjoyed the journey? Yeah. It's been fun, right? Just, I mean, there's so much. You can never really go through it, even in three weeks, John, but especially on an Easter Sunday, agreed? Uh, if you want to go back, you can check out the other parts of the series, part one and two, on our website, our YouTube channel, and things like that. But as you work through the Easter story... This is kind of how I feel. It's a real emotional journey. Have you ever been through something that while you were going through it, it was really hard, painful? You almost were like, man, I just, I hate this. I want to get out of this. But you loved the outcome that came after that. Anybody ever been through something like that before, right? I feel like that's a little bit of the journey, like the journey we go on through the Easter story. It's really emotional when we get into the suffering of Jesus and everything that he went through. But the end of that story, oh man, it's the greatest news that we've ever heard. <laughs> it's the victory of victories. And so uh, as we travel down this place today where we're going to talk about the cross the grave, and the resurrection. These will be our final three stops in the series. The cross, the grave, and the resurrection. I want to open up with some foundational theology. And I suppose that many people have heard some of the things I'm about to say, but I feel like it's important to put this in front of us in our lens 
in our perspective as we get into the events of the story today that we're going to talk about. Some foundational theology. And uh, if we do that, we would go back to, I would say, the garden when God created man, created Adam and Eve, and he breathed his spirit into them. They became living beings, not just physically, listen, but spiritually. They were alive physically and spiritually, and they were actually in perfect relationship and communion with God. That's important because we see this was God's original design, was to be in fellowship with man, to be in relationship with him. And of course, we know that sin entered into the garden, and it fractured that, it broke that, it separated that relationship between God and man and now man would experience a physical death I don't know if you ever caught this but the Bible says in Genesis that the original plan was that man would live forever he would never die that was the original plan be with God relationship and live forever sin comes into the world man's separated in relationship with God and now he's going to experience a physical death and so for all of the years after that God kind of made a provision Uh, It was a temporary provision through the sacrificial systems and ordinances for man to be forgiven, but it was a system that was pointing to a fulfillment, and that fulfillment would be accomplished through Jesus Christ, everything we're talking about today on the cross, that finishing work. This period of a few thousand years, the Bible describes as a time of mercy, a time of forbearance. God was withholding what was rightfully due to man until a solution could be brought along. Aren't you thankful for that? That solution, obviously, we know, was Jesus Christ and the work that he did. Once he accomplished that, all, that would put his, all who would put their faith in him, listen, that original design for man gets restored back to God's original intention only through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So God's just nature had to be satisfied through this condition of sin. And the Bible says that when we are born into the world, after this happens, every person is born into the world under the condition of sin. Romans, it says that uh, none are righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in Galatians, it says all who are born into the world are born under the curse of sin. Are you with me? So we know that we come into the world physically alive but spiritually dead spiritually dead there needs to be a regeneration and when that regeneration happens our spirits are alive and then we're going to live forever eternal life actually sets in are you with me so that's some foundation that we need let's do this let's go now to the cross we left off last week Coming up the hill of Calvary, we know Jesus, after the torturing, the the scourging, the mutilation, he's dragging his cross. There's a point where he can't do it anymore, and a man named Simon steps in to help him drag it up the hill. He gets up on top of Calvary, also called Golgotha, which is the place of the skull, and then the Roman crucifixion ensues. We know that they drove stakes, nails, through his hands and through his feet. Now think about this, okay? A Roman crucifixion was the form of death for Jesus, the Messiah. There were prophecies 
about how the Messiah would suffer and die going all the way back even to King David in around 1000 BC. Psalms 22, he describes in great detail death by a crucifixion. Say, okay, why is that such a big deal? Why is that important? The earliest known uh, crucifixions that can be accounted for were like in 4-500 BC. And the Romans really popularized it, obviously, at the time when Jesus was on the earth as a form of execution. What that means is that there were prophecies also from Isaiah, Zechariah, describing the death of the Messiah through piercing of hands and feet. They would look upon him whom they've pierced. These, were, these things had happened before crucifixion was ever even an idea or a known way to execute. Jesus is on the cross, and the Bible tells us that alongside of him are two thieves. Two thieves who are guilty, and they're punished for their crimes by death on the cross. The one thief essentially looks at Jesus and rejects him as the Son of God. He mocks him, he rejects him. But the other thief looks at Jesus, and he acknowledges him as the Son of God. He sees him for who he is. And do you remember what he said? He said, Lord, remember me when you go into your kingdom. You know what Jesus said back to him? I tell you this day, you will be with me in paradise. Hallelujah. This is a powerful picture, folks. We see the antithesis of our decision in this earthly life. Will we reject or will we accept Jesus Christ? Two different eternal outcomes. And for the thief who accepted Jesus, this is what I love. He's moments away from the end of his earthly life, but now because of his choice to, to accept Jesus, he will spend eternity with Jesus in paradise. <laughs> Isaiah says, the arm of the Lord is never too short to save. There is no chasm, there is no gulf that the grace and forgiveness of God cannot cross to reach you and your point of penitence. I feel like somebody needs to hear that today. You're not too far gone. You haven't done something that is unforgivable with God. You are not beyond the reach of His grace and His forgiveness. The capacity for Him to forgive you right where you are is in the blood of Jesus Christ. There is hope for us all, even in our final moment. So while Jesus hung on that cross, I want you to think about this. The Bible says that He became our sin. 2 Corinthians 5 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. So the fleshly body that deity was clothed in, sin of the world of mankind was actually placed upon him. Peter says it this way, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. This is where the justice of the government of God begins to get satisfied for the condition of sin. No man would be capable of offering an earthly sacrifice to satisfy that or do enough good deeds to satisfy that. So the justice of God and the wrath that was due on sin was actually poured out on Jesus on the cross when he became our sin. This is why he said in a moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the weight of the sin of the world was upon him. Wow. Think about that for a moment. He took it on himself. And it says in Galatians that when he did, he says that he redeemed us from the curse through his body on the tree. 
He redeemed us. So the curse of sin and death that we're born into the world with when we accept Jesus Christ, because our sin was on him, it gets removed from us when we put our faith in him. But listen to this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, You, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. Now listen to this. He has taken it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. Think about your sin that you're born into the world with, every one of us. We put our faith in Jesus Christ immediately. Our sin is nailed back there on the cross. It's staying there. When they would crucify prisoners, they would nail their crimes in a ledger. They would nail them to their cross so that passerbys could see what they were guilty of. And this is why it says justice served. That's powerful. Our sin is nailed back there on the cross. That means it's back there. It's not here right now with you when you put your faith in Jesus. That's the definition of redemption. Our debt that we could never pay was put on his account. He took it away. It was an exchange or a redemption. And I think sometimes we see Jesus as, you know, this great guy and this great man or maybe even yeah he was the son of God and we put our faith in him but a lot of times people go around living a life with guilt and shame and condemnation and maybe you've never thought about Jesus as your redeemer that he actually took away that sin so that you didn't have to live a life of shame and condemnation and that brings freedom Jesus is our savior and he is our redeemer our debt was put on his account. I remember whenever I was younger and I started driving, I had a few kind of cars that I wrecked, um, multiple actually, and went through two or three vehicles when I was like 16 and 17. Uh, thank God, prayers of my mom and my grandma and I'm still alive today and all the crazy things that I did. And I was like, man, I've had these cars I've been beaten up and Finally, I was going to get a, a new vehicle, Pastor Guy. I was excited. I'm going to get me a good ride. You know, I'm going to get one that's a good, good condition, looks nice. And I started looking around. My uncle worked at a car dealership. And so I found a, a used but in great condition Ford Explorer, uh, which at the time was a pretty hot vehicle, you know. And it was, it was a little bit of money. It was pricey. And I didn't know a lot about the whole financing process. And so I went through the thing with the dealership and they were going to finance me and I could afford a certain payment. They were going to finance me a little bit, but I had to still come up with some money down. And the money down was pretty substantial. I mean, it was still thousands of dollars that I had to put down. Well, I didn't have this money, right? And I remember my grandpa, he came to me and said, hey, here's what I want to do. I'm going to lend you the money to put down so you can get this car and then you can just pay me back at kind of a, a comfortable pace. We'll have a, a comfortable payment for you. And, uh, and then you'll be able to get this vehicle. So we did that. I was excited. And my grandpa, he's real detailed. He's, he's real uh, thorough with his records of everything. He still keeps handwritten ledgers of all of that. He doesn't own a computer. And so I get this piece of paper that's on like, uh, like graph paper. And it's got this ledger of every month Kelly and the payments and the amount that I owe and all this to pay him off right 
And so I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great. First month or two, everything was good. Uh, and then, you know, me, 17, 18-year-old kid, I get to this point where now I'm struggling to pay him. And then one month I can't pay him, and then I can pay him a little bit, and then the next month I can't pay him, and then I can't pay him again. And anybody relate to what I'm talking about, all of a sudden it gets really heavy. I'm like, I feel like this big. I mean, this is my grandpa. He's lent me this money. I can't even pay him back. And even when I can scrape money together now, it's like I'm so far behind. I'm thinking, this is just impossible. I'm never going to get out from under this. This is, what am I going to do? Um, and it was just really messing with me. You talk about weight and pressure. I was feeling it in this situation because my grandpa's my hero, you know, and I don't want to let him down on top of all this. And so it's this unspoken thing. I know I owe him money, but, you know, he's not saying anything every time we're around each other and all that. And so one year on my birthday around this time, uh, my grandparents, since we were little kids, they've been giving us cards, giving us money for our birthday in a card, and they give us a $50 bill. Every year, that's just what they do. Give us a $50, which I need to talk to him about that because, you know, inflation really is pretty serious right now. I might need to have a little conversation about that. It's been 50 for a long time. Um, (laughs) And so I get the card this one year, and I'm thinking, this is so ridiculous. I owe him probably thousands of dollars still, and he's going to give me $50, right? And I'm opening up this card and going through all this emotion. I open it up and there's no money in it. No $50, no green. Huh, hmm, that's different. But a piece of paper falls out. And I'm like, what's this? So I open up this paper. I'm like, oh, you're writing me a note or something and you know, telling me, hey, it's okay. Whenever you can pay me, no big deal. And I open it up, and it's that ledger. In real big, in bold marker, it says, paid in full. It was like the weight just left me. Now, really, this is probably nowhere near a good enough example, but I want you to think about this. That's what Jesus did for you and me on that cross. When when we look back at the cross, we see that sign stained in blood that says paid in full. An unpayable debt that you and I could never have satisfied. Hallelujah. We thank you for that, Lord. He breathed his last moments and he says, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit, willingly gave up, permitted it to happen. He allowed it to happen. A massive earthquake strikes the land. There had been darkness over the earth from the sixth to the ninth hour up until this point. That's 12 to 3 p.m. Jesus dies at 3 p.m. Earthquake. The soldiers look upon him and they say, truly this was the Son of God. The earth is responding to this. It is finished it says that that earthquake happened the veil of the temple was ripped in two from top to bottom now expert historians will tell you that this veil that was over the holy of holies which is where the presence of god the manifest presence of god was dwelling in the ark and only the high priest could go back there one time a year during the atonement time but it was inaccessible let me say it that way to man 
the presence of God in its fullness like that because you remember what we talked about in the beginning, the separation. Torn in half. 60 feet tall, probably four inches thick of tapestry. Horses could not have ripped it apart. Yet, just like that, it was torn in two. But that's not the most impressive thing. The most impressive thing is that what that represented was that the separation of God's presence and man was now being changed. And the presence of God would come to live in a new temple, a different temple, the temples that we call our bodies, as he would fill us with his Holy Spirit and we would be regenerated back to life, life eternally. And that, folks, is great news. (laughs) That is great news. We move on from the cross and we go to the grave, the tomb. Jesus said as... Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. So will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. Oftentimes, we will refer to this period as we're celebrating Easter. Friday is Good Friday, the crucifixion. Sunday is the resurrection. Often this day would be referred to as Silent Saturday. Just meaning nothing's really happening. Mourning and and sorrow for all the disciples and the followers of Jesus is happening at this point. But up above the earth, say it that way, it's pretty quiet. Oh, but beneath the earth, it is anything but quiet. I don't know if you've ever peered into this, but I just want to share with you a bit about what happened while Jesus was in the grave. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians that he descended into the lower parts of the earth. Hmm, what did he do? He went down into the underworld. He did. What did he do? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Now listen to this, verse 19. After being made alive, so this is after the death on the cross, but before the resurrection, after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. He he goes into the underworld and preaches to the imprisoned spirits. What are the imprisoned spirits? There's some different debates about it. Listen, some people say, what's well, all the rebellious spirits from all of the age that had rejected Jesus Christ? We believe that's true because they are there. But it's also uh, all of the fallen angels as well. The Bible says that God sentenced them to an eternal punishment. They're in chains of darkness. So was it, was it the rebellious spirits? Was it the fallen angels? Here's what I believe. I believe it was all of them. I believe it was all of them because he went down into the underworld. And this is the important point that we need to get. He preached the victory of the cross. He showed up and said, I'm defeating death. (laughs) Can you imagine the look on their faces? Especially Satan and all of the powers of darkness. When Jesus arrives to do what it says here, we're going to read in Colossians, it says that he disarmed the principalities and powers and and wicked spirits of darkness. He divested them of their power. He plundered hell. That's what he did. He showed up and he served 
the victory to them because he says the legal justification has been satisfied on the cross and now I'm here to take away what you've been holding over man for all of these years. You don't have it anymore. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Let me tell you what else he did when he went down there. He led the saints home. So what do you mean by that? Well, have you ever thought about this before? We know when Jesus comes along, his blood, he's sacrificed. Now we can enter into the presence of God. We can go straight to heaven when we die if we're faithful in Jesus because he satisfied all that. What about all the people that died before Jesus did that? Well, the Bible refers to that as those who died in faith or fell asleep in faith. They died believing and expecting the coming of the Messiah. Jesus makes this clear in Luke 16. He says they go to a place called Abraham's bosom. Now, I actually believe when he said to the thief on the cross, you'll be with me this day in paradise, that's where he was talking about he was going to be with him that day because Jesus went down in there and, and Abraham's bosom was a place that was separated from hell or Gehana in the underworld. There's a gulf that cannot be crossed, but they were waiting for Jesus to come and finish his work so that he could usher them home and they could be in the highest heavens with Jesus and God for all of eternity. And praise God, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, now to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when we die in faith, now we go immediately into the highest heavens in the presence of God. Think about your loved ones who've passed on now before you in faith and think about where they are. Think about when you go, where you'll be and the reunion and the coming home that we will celebrate together. Amen. Let me just read this for you in Matthew chapter 27. He led the saints home. This is right after the earthquake on the cross. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit, and then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened. Here it is. You can see this. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Oh, dead people. They're not dead. They're alive. And I'm telling you what's happening. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, but he's the first fruits because many more would come after him. He's ushering in a way. This is a foretaste of what all who would put their faith in him would begin to experience going directly into the presence of the Lord. He's leading the saints home. And the last thing we're going to talk about today is the resurrection. We know after the time in the grave, Jesus is resurrected. He appears. Mary shows up at the tomb. Two Marys, actually, but Mary Magdalene shows up at the tomb, sees angels. It says their countenance is like lightning, <laughs> clothed in snow. And you know what they said? The one angel says to her, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Oh, he is not here. He is risen. Wow. And then Mary is the first one to see Jesus resurrected. Mary Magdalene, mind you. The harlot whom Jesus cast out seven demons from. Does that not tell you something? Because it tells me something. 
God's grace is big enough for all of us. <laughs> I think Mary got a hold of something more than a lot of people got a hold of, and she knew Jesus in a way that maybe even a lot of them didn't know Jesus while he was there. And so as just a, a blessing to Mary, she's the first one who gets to see resurrected Jesus. Wow. After that, there's many more sightings. We know he appears to the disciples in the room, comes right through the wall, actually. There he is. They see him. He appears again to the disciples in another instance. He appears to disciples on the road to Emmaus, Emmaus. And then we know that he also appeared at one time to over 500 people. Over 500 this is significant. I mean, historically, these things are even tracked, right? Because there's many evidences of a resurrection. This is why that's so important. Paul makes it very clear. I want you to think about this as we begin to close today. If this really happened, if he was really resurrected, Paul says, if not, we're very pitiable people. <laughs> We've put our faith and our life and our trust in something that's not real. That's sad. But if it is, but if it is, think about this. If Jesus was the son of God, he defeated the grave and death and he's offering eternal life to you and me. Folks, is there any question that's more important this side of eternity? then what will you do with Jesus? Like the thieves on the cross, will you reject him or will you accept him? Because our eternal fate depends on that. If he really is resurrected and by the authority of scripture and obviously the evidence of all who saw that, we believe, of course, that yes, he was. If that be the case, there's nothing more important than that. What will you do with Jesus? And if you say yes to him, then guess what? Death in this life is not the end. It's not permanent. I don't know if you ever thought about that before. Many people fear death when they get older, but for the believer, there's nothing to fear because death has lost its sting. If it was the end in this life, it has a sting. But if it's not, then there's no sting. We miss those who leave and go on after us, but We'll see him again in heaven for all of eternity. Death is not permanent. Let me say it this way. For those who put their faith in Jesus, you're going to live forever. These are the stakes. This is what we're talking about. This is why this message is still being preached 2,000 years later in churches all over the world right now today. It's the greatest news that you've ever heard. That death is not the end. And so I want to ask you this morning to just bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to think about that. I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to do what he wants to do. He will draw you if you're willing. What will I do with Jesus? If you would say, hmm, pastor, you know what? I, uh, I see it. I get it. I think he really was who he said he was. And I want to put my faith and trust entirely in him today. I want to turn away from the world. And I want to turn entirely to him. I want to give my life to Jesus. 
I believe that his blood was shed for me so that I could be saved, so I could be forgiven. Or maybe you're a different kind of person. You have walked with Jesus before. You've, you've said yes to him. You've made this decision in your heart. You've, you've been saved, but you've wandered. You've kind of just drifted away, and you've went down like a broken road. You, you're, you're holding the wheel now. And it's not going good. And you want to get back to walking closely with Jesus. I know the enemy would love for you to think and believe the lie that you messed up, you can't, or that you've got to earn your way back. There's too much you've got to go undo before you can get close to Jesus again. And I just want to tell you that that's a lie. You may have some stuff to deal with, but just like the father runs to the prodigal son the moment he decides he wants to come home, the father is waiting for you with open arms. He wants to meet you right where you are today. And so if you would say that either one of those situations speaks to you, ministers to you, yep, I want to give my life to Christ, surrender to him, or I want to give back to walking closely with him. I'm going to ask you on the count of three to just raise your hand. Be bold, you know, because, hey, eternity's at stake, right? Be bold. Now be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to strengthen our faith today. And I just want to encourage you to do that. Don't hold back. This is your life here we're talking about. God has a purpose and a plan for you. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will equip you and anoint you to walk out that calling. But you cannot do that on your own. No way. It's a holy calling takes a supernatural grace you say yep that's me today's the day no turning back i want that prayer i want to give my life to christ i want to get back to walking with him one two three all over this place would you just raise your hand god bless you sir god bless you sir yes sir yes sir i see the hands all over this place yes ma'am god bless you god bless you out. Is there anybody else that maybe it's just a lingering, you kind of want to, you know you, you really do, but something's just, your mind is messing with you. Well, what about this? What about that? Let it go. Say yes. Is there anybody else? Yep. I'm going to give my heart to Christ. Awesome. Now I want to ask you to do something. And it's going to take some boldness on your part. But I believe it's going to produce something very meaningful and fruitful for you if you do. For those of you who raised your hand, I want to lead you in a prayer, and the rest of us are going to agree and celebrate with you today. But I want to ask you to be bold, and I want to have you come down here to the front. I want you to stand up and just come out and say, if I don't do that, is this not going to work? No, absolutely not. This prayer is efficient and effective. This is about your heart. But I just want to ask you to be bold and stand up if you raised your hand and come right down here to the front. And just acknowledge that you are saying yes to Jesus. You're making a bold move. You're taking a bold step before God. 